Welcome to Come Follow Me for Seniors. Today's episode will be chapter 6 in the book Scouting for the Mormons on the Great Frontier. And this book takes uh, Ephraim um, with the Mormon Battalion, which is uh, really interesting. So without any further ado, let's get going. It was no easy task for Ephraim to steal a conflict in his mind. He had hoped to remain with the saints and assist them in reaching their new home. But his country had called as well as his prophet. He argued with himself that inasmuch as he was not married, he was better able to make this trip than many of the others who had to leave wives and children behind. Then, too, his years in the Navy had prepared him for any hardship that might confront him. Brigham Young... Taking the two Hanks brothers aside, congratulated Ephraim upon his quick response to the call of his country and promised him that the Lord would be at his side. He counseled Sidney that it would be best for him to remain with the saints and assist them on the westward journey. He also stated that all the money Ephraim could spare from his army pay should be sent to Brother Sidney to further the work of the Lord. The send-off for the boys who joined the army was elaborate, and everyone put on his cheeriest countenance. The afternoon before their departure, a farewell ball was given in which all participated. The mid-July sun was warm as they danced Virginia reels, sang songs, and made merry. As Brigham Young bestowed his farewell blessing on these boys and men, he gave this advice. They must all be true to their country and true to God. On not a single occasion, he added prophetically, would they be required to shed human blood. They were to remember their prayers, to refrain from profanity, obscene language, and improper use of the name of deity to be strictly virtuous, and never to take that which did not belong to them, even from the worst enemies in time of war, if they could possibly avoid it. As they took up their line of march towards Fort Leavenworth, where they were to receive supplies, Eve was in the front ranks. And as Pitt's band, which accompanied them part way, played The Girl I Left Behind Me, Eve waved a last farewell to his brother Sid and his friends. Among the 500 men were many sad hearts. His wives and children were left behind, but to Eve, this was a new adventure which set his blood tingling. At Fort Leavenworth, the Mormon soldiers obtained their muskets, ammunition, and provisions and drew their pay. The fact that every man in the battalion could write his own name was a cause of great surprise to the officer in charge. Greater astonishment still was manifest when each of the men turned over all his surplus money to the brethren who were returning to the saints with instructions that it was to be used to assist the building up a new Zion. On August 12, 1846, they left the fort on their long trek to the coast by the way of Santa Fe. Their march was interrupted by a great deal of sickness and many deaths. Eve played an important part during this period with the use of his consecrated oil and the gift of healing, which he possessed to a marked degree. One of the army doctors could treat the men with camel calomel for every complaint, even to a bruise. One day he left some pills for Eve's companion to take. Eve loaded the pills into a gun with some shot and at a close range knocked over a sage hen. The two men enjoyed a good meal, and the next day Eve's companion was well enough to take his place in the ranks. That was the first and last time that the doctor ever heard of sickness in this tent. The boys laughed about it many times after their discharge. One of them remarked that Eve should have shot the doctor in the seat of the pants with the pills and made him run as he had made the men. One night Eve asked his mate to answer his name at roll call. 
Inasmuch as they were in desperate need of meat to round out their diet, he slipped away, took a horse, and rounded up twelve head of wild cattle. The battalion had just started to march off when they saw him coming with the cattle. The men formed a hollow square into which he drove the cattle, and they had fresh beef for some time. In a region where the cane grass grew high, they encountered a vicious herd of wild bulls, which attacked the men and the mules. Two of the mules were gored to death, and several men were badly hurt. After the bulls were driven off, it was discovered that a number of them had been killed. The meat was jerked, and as much as they could carry was taken along. Eve Hanks and his companions found the forced marches long and tiresome. Often they would be without water for days at a time. Many of the men were unable to keep up during the day and would try to catch up with the company and would try to catch up with the company before camp was broken the next morning. The men did not hesitate to drink any water they could find, no matter how muddy or stagnant it might be. While traveling through the Pima India villages, the soldiers sometimes traded buttons off their uniform for cakes. When they reached the mesquite brush country where their growth was heavy, it was necessary for them to burn a trail through. It was not unusual for an occasional wagon to catch fire from the live coals and the glowing embers were hard on the feet of both men and animals. Often when water could not be found, it was necessary for the men to stop and dig wells to save all from perishing. Oft times the camp was overtaken by scurvy and malaria, which added to their distress. It was the latter part of January when they reached Warner's Ranch and viewed their first house in California. When they arrived in San Diego, they were overjoyed, overjoyed to find a warm sun and abundant vegetation, which coupled with cool water from the mountain streams, added immeasurably to their comfort. The Mexicans were discouraged by 500 or so men in possession of San Diego and made no trouble. Colonel Cook, the commanding officer who led the battalion on the final lap of its march, wrote this letter of commendation. The Lieutenant Colonel, January 30, 1847. The Lieutenant Colonel commanding congratulates the battalion on their safe arrival on the shores of the Pacific Ocean and the conclusion of their march of 2,000 miles. History may be searched in vain for an equal march of infantry. Half of it has been through a wilderness where nothing but savages and wild beasts are found, or deserts for the want of water. There is no living creature. There, with almost helpless labor, we have dug deep wells which the future traveler will enjoy. Without a guide who has tra traversed them, we have entered into trackless tablelands where the water was not found on several marches. With crowbar and pick and axe, we have worked our way over mountains, which seem to defy aught, save the wild goat, and hewed a passage through a chasm of living rock more narrow than our wagons. To bring these first wagons to the Pacific, we have preserved the strength of our mules by herding them over large tracks, which we have lab laboriously guarded without loss. The garrison of four presidios of Sonora concentrated within the walls of Tucson gave us no pause. We drove them out with their artillery, but our in intercourse with the citizens was unmarked by a single act of injustice. Thus marching half-naked and half-fed and living upon wild animals, we have discovered and made a road great value, a great value for our country. Lieutenant Colonel P. St. George Cook, P.C. Adjutant. Adjutant. <laughs> the Mormon soldiers were put to work building brick houses, walks, and a church in the little town. Of this was slow work and uninteresting to Ephraim Hanks and the other men who had hopes of more exciting experiences. One day excitement in a village grew to a high pitch because of a Spanish fiesta being held in honor of St. John's Day. Leading the parade, which began the festivities, were wretched dress banners from neighboring haciendas, showing off their high-stepping horses. 
Bringing up the rear were godly dressed Mexicans. By 11 o'clock, the parade had ended and cockfights and horse racing were in full swing. Everyone was chattering about the bullfights, which would take place in the afternoon. <clears throat> the battalion boys had caught the spirit of the gay celebration and were as excited as the partic participants. A number of the boys had assembled where the horse races were taking place. In their patched and worn clothes, they appeared shabby and unimportant in comparison with the ornately dressed Spaniards. A few of the boys were listening eagerly to a heated discussion about the Toreadors who were to fight the bulls in the afternoon when one of the Spaniards turned to them and remarked, Maybe some of these Americans would like to fight a bull. Bill Casper spoke up from the experience we had with the wild cattle in the cane grass country. We should be able to fight them. The Spaniards laughed in derision and bantered with Americans about being afraid of bulls until Lee Hank stepped forward and said, Get us some good horses for this afternoon and we'll show you what Americans can do. Senor Hernandez, a kindly man who had been a silent listener up to this point, offered two horses for the event and then invited Hanks and Caspar, the would-be bullfighters, to be guests for the day. They were introduced to his charming daughter, Conchita, who warned the boys of the dangers in bullfighting bulls. She tried to persuade her father not to let these young men risk their lives in such a foolish venture. The more she argued, the more determined Eve and Bill became to see it through. News that the two Americanos were going to fight the bull that afternoon spread lap rapidly with excitement, with many expressing the doubt that the two soldiers would show up at all. At the appointed time, the arena was jammed to capacity, and the spectators were electrified to see the two untrained Americanos ride into the ring. The boys did some hard riding to stay out of reach of the enraged bull's horns, managing to outguess him on every charge he made. Suddenly the bull turned on Caspar unexpectedly, forcing the horse against the wall. To the spectators it appeared that the bull would not miss goring the horse and rider. Many of the women covered their eyes with their hands and all held their breath. Alert to the danger, Eve spurred his horse to the rescue. He seized the bull by the tail and with a naughty, mighty pull <clears throat> turned him halfway around, giving Bill a chance to ride to safety. The crowd shouted and cheered, throwing armful after armfuls of flowers into the ring. Senator Hernandez and Conchita were at the gate when the two bullfighters came out, and the senior insisted that the Americanos accompany them to their hacienda. The feast set before them was one to be long remembered. Conchita stood at the east side during the entire meal, serving him, as was the Spanish custom. This was a new experience for Hanks and made him somewhat uneasy. As the boys were preparing to leave the rancho, Senior Her Hernandez took Eve to one side, showed him a small bag of gold and a much larger bag of silver, telling him that half of it was his if he would stay and marry his daughter Conchita. He also told Eve that he could have half of all the calves and colts branded on the rancho. Eve thanked him for the offer, but explained that he was determined to return to the saints. When he saw Eve's resoluteness to leave, the kindly Spaniard gave him ten saddle horses and a good pack and riding outfit, expressing his hope that someday Eve would return to San Diego. The string of horses proved a godsend, helping Eve not only get back to the Salt Lake, but to carry on afterwards. From San Diego, the battalion was ordered to Los Angeles to help exterminate the wild dogs which were overrunning that small village. 
From the pen of John R. Young comes an account of an interesting episode that took place while the boys were stationed in Los Angeles. The Mexicans believed that these boys were greenhorns with horses. They had an ugly, vicious burrow, which they controlled with the use of two lassos, as he would charge on any man with open mouth, meaning business. The Mexicans succeeded in getting the beast into the street in front of a cafe, and they offered E $5 if he would ride the burrow and stay on him. The burro was blindfolded and held until Eve was seated on his back, and the onlurkers had found places of safety. Then the ropes were carefully removed, the last man jerking the blind from the burro's eyes and making a dash through the cafe door with the burro close on his heels. Through the swinging doors went the animal, with Eve astride him. A large, valuable mirror, which the owner of the cafe desired to sell, was leaning against the counter. When the burro saw himself in the glass, he stopped a moment, then with teeth bared, he pitched into it, smashing the glass to bits. The customers went pell-mell out of the back door, followed by the owner, who did not even have time to put down the bowl of soup he was carrying. For the burro was reaching out with open mouth for the seat of his trousers. The seat was quickly cleared. Excuse me, the street was quickly cleared. With a couple of ropes, the burro was finally subdued. The Mexicans who had made a bargain were standing on the roof of a low adobe house, utterly amazed when Hanks found them and collected the $5. It is said that the cafe owner did not return to his place of business for two days. On July 16, 1847, the battalion boys were given their honorable discharges from the army at Los Angeles. Ephraim, with the fine horses and outfits given him by the rich Spaniard, was leader of the march north in the direction of Sutter's Fort, when they had been told was 600 miles away. On the 24th of August, they came to a white settlement, the first they had seen since leaving Fort Leavenworth a year before. Here they met a man named Smith, who had accompanied Samuel Brennan to meet the leaders of the church and persuade them to come to California. He informed them that 500 wagons were on their way to Salt Lake Valley. This was the first news they had of the westward trek of the saints. On the 6th of September, they met Sam Brannan himself, And the next day they met Captain James Brown with letters from the church leaders advising those who had not the means of substance to stay in California until spring and find work. About half of the number turned back, but Eve, with his fine horses, was well prepared to journey on.